Hello, everyone. Welcome to Indubitably and welcome to 2023. This is the second new year we've rung in as a podcast. That's true. What did we do for our first New Year's episode? I think we were looking at controversies that we were anticipating for 2022. And uh, we should probably go back and see how uh, how badly we uh, predicted things. Oh my gosh, that's right. I wonder how correct and how wrong we were. I think we got a couple right because I know we've referenced it a few times throughout the year. So I don't think we were too far off. I think one of your predictions was that Trump was going to run for president again. Mm-hmm. Against Pence. Oh, <laughs> well, have we heard anything from Mike Pence yet? It seems like he's he's looking to run. Hmm. Well, you got one thing probably right. Mm-hmm. Let's go. I would say Happy New Year's Day, but I'm assuming the earliest anyone will be listening to this is January 2nd because no one wants to be nursing a New Year's Eve hangover with headphones in their ears. Mm, Possibly. It might shut out your family members, though. So if you're listening on the first, I get it. (laughs) Well, last year we did a kind of year recap, year prediction. This year, we're going to be getting a bit introspective. Probably the number one comment that we get on the show is that we haven't really talked much about ourselves. Oh, people want to get personal. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Astute listeners have probably picked up on a few things throughout the entire indubitably history. One, that I like nail polish. Two, that I like cats. Mm-hmm. Three, that Josh goes outside way more than I do. <laughs> but, you know, Josh that also has a history of working in politics. Like, that's an actual professional detail. And I work in a hospital. And uh, aside from that, I don't think there's much else that people really know. And so uh, upon gentle persuasions from our listeners that we've interacted with, we have invited on Alex to serve as their representative, and she will be spending today's episode interviewing, that's a very direct word, but having a conversation with myself and Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've invited Alex Brown as this surrogate for the audience. And um, hi, Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, thank you for so much for inviting me. I am super excited to be here. I am Alex. I am a friend of Kelly's from Twitter. And I figured I would introduce myself using my bio from Twitter, which is that I am an equal opportunity nose booper. I will boop both cats and dogs and sometimes humans. I am a very slow runner who came in second to last in the one and only marathon that I've ever run. And I am a Citizens for Boys and Berry Jam fan, which is a reference to my favorite Simon and Garfunkel song, Punky's Dilemma. And did you have a conversation with the person who came in actually last in the marathon? So I did know the person who came in last. It was my friend, Tiffany. Um, She's a long distance runner who was running the race with me as a training run. It was the San Juan Island Marathon, which has 2000 feet of elevation gain, which is a lot for a road race. And when we got to the 26 mile marker, she stopped and she said, all right, after you. And so she actually let me go before her because she said, not going to let you come in dead fucking last on your first marathon. Oh, mm, that's your story. That's your story. I think she would tell it differently. <laughs> and then we were a hundred feet from the end and she just sprinted ahead of me. <laughs> so I'm curious, we're bringing you on as a representative of our listeners to ask Kelly and I questions, but I was going to start by asking you a question actually, which is the whole motivation for this episode is people telling us that we need to talk about ourselves more, which not really a forte. Usually I like to talk about the rest of the world outside of my house. But as a representative of the audience, what would you want to get out of an episode like this? Like, What do you think that most people would be looking to hear? What kind of questions 
do you have in store? I'm trying to prepare myself. What kind of questions do you have in store for us? Um, well, I think for, for me, as somebody who listens to podcasts, you know, in addition to this one, you start to, when you have the same people in your ears week after week, you do start to feel a bit like you know them, like they're friends. That same idea is the parasocial relationship. And so it sort of gives me as one of your listeners um, and the, the proxy for the for the entire audience a chance to get to know both of you better. Um, I do know Kelly pretty well from Twitter, but this is my first time really having a conversation with Josh. So I'm excited to hear more about why you guys picked this sort of format for for a podcast, this type of subject, and you know, some personal stuff too. Like not too personal, but knowing a little bit more about what makes you guys think the way that you think. And so we're not going to end up crying on this episode. No, no, no. And with that, for today, we have collected a combination of questions that Alex herself has written. Listeners have submitted to us. And Josh and I actually wrote a couple of questions for each other that we've kept secret. Mm -hmm. So we've got a little surprise in store for each other. And maybe that's where the crying will come in. <laughs> we'll see how brutal we're each going to get. Yeah, definitely. First, we're going to have kind of an icebreaker question, and it's going to be a debate question for you both. So if you could speak every human language or be able to speak to animals and have them understand, which one would you choose? I feel like I know Kelly would choose animals. I think you're wrong. Really? Okay. I feel like I already connect pretty well with animals. My, um, uh, and Alex shares this with me. We're both learning French, and, and Alex actually got to practice it this year when she went to France, lucky. Um, I think it's so impressive when people can fluently communicate with people from other countries. I took Spanish in high school and college. Um, I'd like to get to some point of fluency with French, but if I could know every language that is spoken around the world, that would be incredible. Mm. See, I can speak every language that is spoken around the world because I have this thing called Google Translate. And so I just think, you know, seriously, I think with the existence of technology that's getting better, I would probably have to go with the animals, speak the animals language, because I, I don't. that's not something that we can in any way achieve right now. So I think that would be kind of cool. And I spend more time with animals than people anyway. So you're just dying to know why your cat hunts you constantly. Yeah. So half the time, I swear it's a game and she's having a lot of fun and we're we're doing a thing together. And the other half of the time, I think that she is trying to murder me and just take over the household for herself. Does she like bonsai onto you uh, in the dark? Oh, yeah. I wake up. There's a ledge above my bed. I wake up and she's just staring down at me with her devil eyes. It sounds like you need to sleep with one eye open. <laughs> she needs to understand where her poop goes and who's responsible for that. A little bit of appreciation would be nice. <laughs> Ask Josh what his cat's name is. Uh, what's your cat's name? Oh. Okay, well, maybe this is the reason she doesn't like me, but her name is Shitty Kitty. Okay, well, I think that answers that question. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, I didn't name her that until after I'd already had her for a couple months. So usually when I get a pet, I want to get a sense for their personality, give them a name that really suits that personality. But with her, she was just like non-existent for two months, no interaction, just hiding from me all the time. So I got frustrated and that's her name. Oh. 
So she started is my point. It's not too late to change it to pretty kitty. I just call her kitty when I'm not mad at her. Mm. All right, that's fair. <laughs> I have an icebreaker question. This is one of my favorites. So one of the things, if we're opening up here, that I do is I teach public speaking and debate classes to kids. And sometimes the questions that we ask in those classes can be a lot of fun. For example, I'll ask this for Kelly and Alex. Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 12 duck-sized horses? 12 duck-sized horses any day. I feel like because this is a debate podcast, I'm supposed to take the opposite <laughs> position, but I definitely would go with 12 duck-sized horses. Wow. It's the the sheer mass of it. Like a horse is an enormous animal and a horse-sized duck could just smother me with its big, flat, flabby feet. Plus, ducks have those like razor-sharp, I guess, teeth or serrations on their duck bill. Yeah. And if you put that up into horse proportions, you're looking at like a hacksaw. <laughs> okay. Okay. How about follow-up question? How many duck-sized horses do you think it would take to defeat one horse-sized duck then? Well, I've always heard the the, the question posed as 100 mm. duck-sized horses versus one horse-sized duck. So 12 is like a no-brainer. <laughs> 100, that seems excessive. Yeah. You think it would take that many? 50 ducks turned into horses. That seems like a lot to me. That's 50 seems like plenty. If you don't like 12, fine, but 100 is excessive. <laughs> when they science will answer this question <laughs> 50 duck-sized horses is reasonable but 100 is like no that, that that's unrealistic <laughs> <laughs> our next question i like this one do you have a favorite joke mckelly had i'm gonna i'm gonna speak on behalf of kelly for a second since we're getting to know each other and i don't want to talk about myself so i'll just talk about her kelly actually has performed stand-up oh, at God. one at one point is that right was it once a couple times couple times. Yeah. Um, there's a story behind that, which actually ties into debate. Um, so it's actually very fitting for this podcast, but I had a debate partner that Josh knew mm -hmm. and he and I were very different people. And, um, one of the things about my presentation and debate is it's very stiff and unamused. And he told me, you're not funny and people don't like you. Whoa. <laughs> this was not me. This was for, not me. To be no, I know. Clear. <laughs> and one of the things that he suggested as a way to kind of get through that personal defect of mine was to try to um, harness some of that humor. And so I did some open mic night um, stand up stuff. I didn't really have punchline, like super like bada bing joke type things. It was a little more like story type stuff. But one of the things I took from that, which I think has transformed into, I think I'm generally kind of a funny person now, is that I can be the butt of my own joke and it makes things a lot easier for me getting along with people. Um, don't take myself too seriously. And uh, yeah, I like, I like trying to be funny. I have, <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> I have a joke notebook. I mean, I think all writers have, you know, they're always writing stuff down, like carrying a notebook with them. Like that's just smart. Well. No, this is what's stupid about it is Josh came up to Portland last year and we had dinner and we were talking about humor and stuff. And I found my joke notebook and then I texted him a picture of one of the jokes from that notebook. Do you remember what the joke was that I texted you? Oh, shoot. I don't. It was something like, why would God make a poop too big for my bud? <laughs> <laughs> so, can I change my, can I change my answer for what my favorite joke is? <laughs> So, is that now your new favorite joke? I'd forgotten about that one. <laughs> I think we can definitively say I don't take myself as seriously anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's, 
That's amazing. And also, it's an excellent question. <laughs> well, be- before my answer changed, my joke was actually going to be, and this is for Kelly specifically, where does a mansplainer get their water from? A well, actually. Damn it, you already knew that. I should have known you knew of that. Of course one. I know that. <laughs> I'm I'm ashamed that I needed a second for that one to click. But. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> every white man ever, Pretty except much. for me, except for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, actually, I've never. <laughs> All right. Well, we've done a few icebreakers, and now we're going to learn a little bit more about both of you. Um, so I figured the first question to start with there would be kind of a basic recap for newer listeners. So who are you people? How did you become friends? And why did you decide to do this? Mm. I like how she assumes that you're my friend, Kelly. I'm not sure I, I'm granted that status yet. You have announced on this podcast at least twice that you are my friend. Yeah, that's me announcing it. doesn't mean you agree. No, no, no. Okay. I think that's fair. I think that Josh and I, until we got into this podcast for a little bit, we're more acquaintances than friends, but I would say that we're okay. friends now for sure. Or mortal enemies, but the spectrum mm. is a circle. <laughs> Depends on the episode. Yeah. <laughs> actually, if we were to take it back from acquaintances, we w- we did actually meet as enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh and I were both in college competing in a format of debate called British Parliamentary, which uh, was pretty prevalent on the West Coast for a while, but it also allowed us to do a lot of international tournaments, which was pretty cool. And at the time, um, I am in Portland and have been in Portland and Josh was in Southern California and we would see each other probably like once a month at tournaments or so for the academic year. Mm -hmm. And um, we were kind of in the same general like echelon of debaters, not to say that we were like the best debaters, but we frequently would be competing against each other in rounds and in like final rounds and stuff. Which is where the best debaters are. Just saying. I mean, I, you, you won nationals. (laughs) Well, we, um, yeah, we, so I don't think you liked me very much to be perfectly honest, because I was a bit to defend your decision not to like me. I was a bit of a jerk when I debated. You had a, like, a persona that I think you were affecting for most of debate, which was to kind of be like an asshole. Don't tell people it wasn't real. <laughs> it, <laughs> well, it got me trophies. I think I didn't know it wasn't real until later. <laughs> That's true. And I think after we finished competing, we both ended up coaching teams. Mm-hmm. And so then we were seeing each other on the circuit still, but this time in a non-competitive setting, we were judging debates or running tournaments, things like that. and then. That went on for a while until the pandemic, where there weren't any debate tournaments in person, at least. And so I started running as part of my academic consulting business, started running some online debate practices. And uh, Kelly was involved in that. So started seeing each other again every week online in these um, classes slash scrimmages that I was running. So anyway, I suppose that that's a brief history of our relationship from enemies to acquaintances to friends to podcast hosts. And yeah, I got I, it wasn't too long after those practices started that, you know, I was looking to start up indubitably and trying to find a person that would be a good co-host and thought of Kelly and asked Kelly. And here we are. And that was one of the most flattering things that has happened to me because you know a lot of people in debate. 
you could have asked a lot of people to be your co-host. So it's very mm-hmm. nice that you asked me. Pro tip on how to turn somebody from an enemy into a friend. Flattery. <laughs> Flattery gets you everywhere. Mm-hmm. Appoint them as a judge in your, your debate training. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Cool. Uh, we're going to go to a listener question next. This is Elizabeth from Geneva. Elizabeth from Geneva wonders, married, relationship, kids? She's particularly interested in whether or not you have kids or have a desire for kids in the future, given some of the views you've expressed on the show about the population, sustainability, et cetera. Okay, Oprah. Just going straight to <laughs> just going straight to it. <laughs> Kelly, you want to take this one first? I don't think either of us wants to take this one first. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, I'll go. I'll go because it's easier for me as a dude. I can take it first. I don't want kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see? Yeah. And Alex are on the same page there. Not married. Um, I have a relationship with my cat. I don't have kids. I am not interested in kids because of some of the views that I've expressed on the show about population, sustainability, uh, et cetera. So, yeah, I guess that's the the shorthand answer to a deeper existential crisis that I've comfortably come through. I am not married. I almost got married um, about eight years ago. Glad I didn't. Um, I'm not in a relationship, nor do I want to be in a relationship, and I don't have kids. Um, I'm not entirely opposed to the idea of relationships or kids. I am not going to seek those things out currently. I think especially right now, it's a very hard world to think of bringing children into, especially with the overturning of Roe versus Wade and the way that the climate is progressing poorly. What kind of world would we leave for children to inherit? I'm not so much worried about overpopulation. I think that the world sustains populations very well when resources are allocated well. I'm more more concerned about the resource allocation, which is why I'm a socialist. So, yeah. I read a funny quote, I think just this morning, and it might be a bit dramatic, but I get the point. And it was basically like, I had the bad luck of being born at the end of the fuck around generation. (laughs) And I'm going to spend the rest of my life living in the find out generation. Oh no. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) Next question. What are your other hobbies? Like what do you, what do you do for enjoyment in your personal time? All podcasts all the time. I sit at my computer and edit. Well, you're cultivating a brand. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, just got back today. I'm excited about it because it's the beginning of the season. I got back from my first trip to Lake Tahoe where I was attempting to ski. And um, just to give you an idea of the level I'm at, I was very, very proud of myself that I only almost fell three times. One of those, it's not a fall if you end up on your hands and your skis are all different directions, but you didn't land on your knees or your butt. That's still standing, right? I I it's mean, planking? we have a whole debate on it. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's planking. I I my skis never left the ground. I, I just had to use my hands to assist. So I'm going to take that as a win. So that's about the level I'm at. I didn't fall today, uh, but you know, I didn't do anything impressive either. I've never successfully skied in my life. I only fall, so I am already impressed. <laughs> so I was skiing over the pandemic. You know, I moved to the bay and I. I called myself outdoorsy. I might be lying to myself about it considering the frequency I go outside, but I picked up skiing, picked up mountain biking and have been climbing for a very long time. That one I can actually do. The other two, not so much, but I'm working on it. And so there's that, there's the podcast. I do a little bit of photography. 
for fun. Nice. And that I would say pretty much covers it. Kelly, be more interesting than me. Well, I don't know about that. You definitely get outdoors way more than I do. I feel like listeners probably already know that I've got my nail polish hobby, which seems like pretty superficial, but I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And what's really enjoyable as a part of this is that I do my friend's nails all the time. And um, I last night, even I was over at a friend's house and I painted like five people's nails in the process. And it's a great way to get people to like you. (laughs) Flattery and nail polish. I have so much nail polish, um, like over 400 bottles of polish. I cannot possibly wear them in enough frequency to kind of justify having that much. So having my friends want to wear these colors, especially things I haven't worn in a while, validates my purchase history. Aside from that, I um, watch a lot of soccer Portland-based teams, the Thorns and the Timbers. I will not be a season ticket holder for next year. There have been some major uh, upsets with the way that the management of those organizations has gone. And I feel a little skeezy about the whole like spending money on this type of thing right now when there's like a history of an abuse culture and it's not good. But I still, I still love Portland soccer and the players themselves in most instances. What I am getting back into this year was uh, recreational reading, which I used to, I used to just be a bookworm when I was a kid and college really destroyed a lot of the enjoyment of reading. That seems to be such a common, like I had that too, because I was an English major and Mm. it was just, you know, four years of nonstop reading. I'm like, I don't, I just want to watch a TV show now. Yeah. Or, or listen to a podcast. Exactly. It's true. I mean, what am I supposed to do when I'm doing the dishes? Have a conversation? God, no. (laughs) Well, uh, I have been on a quest to kind of meet my Goodreads goal this year, which is 52 books. And I um, got started on that goal pretty late. So (laughs) I might not make it still, but I am finding books that I enjoy. What are you at? I'm at 46 right now. So I think I can probably make it. Yeah. Yeah. So Kelly's got her 52 books in 2022. And that actually is one of the questions that I was going to ask, considering it is our New Year's episode, and we are trying to get a little bit personal. I thought that a good question would be to talk about each of our New Year's resolutions. I haven't even thought about this. (laughs) (laughs) There's two weeks of December left yet. (laughs) That's true. We still have time. We still have time. (laughs) Kelly, do you have any any preset besides your... Are you going to re-up on the 52 books in 2023? I was planning on doubling it for next year because now that I know that I can read several books a week, one book a week seems like it's too low. Um, I'm probably actually going to be canceling like some streaming services and just trying to lean into reading more. But I don't know if I would call it a resolution. The last actual resolution I had was in 2021. I wanted to go the whole year without consuming palm oil, but I haven't had anything for this year and I haven't thought of anything for next year. And I don't think I'm going to. 104. Yeah, that's 52 yeah. times two. You see how fast I did that? You did it in like I'm two so minutes. I'm proud of you. <laughs> what were you just saying about palm oil? I wasn't listening. I was doing the, I was doing the arithmetics in my head. Carry my one. <laughs> Josh, what about you though? You can't just put us on the spot. What resolutions do you have? I can. I do the editing. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm one of those annoying people that's like, I'm going to do this all year round. But I do have my skiing and mountain biking that are relatively new. And I do have my climbing, which I feel like considering I've been doing it for almost 10 years now, I should be much better at it. And those things are 
less resolutions and more, I suppose, constant progressions. Yeah. So I do have goals there of certain trails I'd like to be able to make it down alive or certain ratings of climbs that I'd like to be able to get up. So definitely the outdoorsy thing is in tied in with what would be closest to a New Year's resolution for me. This is a little bit corny considering it's on the podcast, but I haven't really talked to Kelly about this, but I think my goal for the following year for the podcast would be to hit 20,000 subscribers. So I suppose that would be a resolution. I like it. Buy listeners. Old. Oh, that's cheating. We're not <laughs> like Twitter bots. Buy people. <laughs> yeah. sure. Can we verify? Can we get a blue podcast check mark for eight dollars? No, it would be a gold podcast check mark since you're technically a business. The whole check mark thing is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, we're we're not a business yet. There's no money in this. I yeah, assure that's you. True. <laughs> There's negative money in this. Twenty thousand followers. I think as a self-proven expert at arithmetic, given given how quickly I doubled <laughs> Kelly's <laughs> reading list. Uh, I think that we're actually on track for it. So if we continue the growth that we did in the first year, I think that's where we're going to be in the second year. So that's the hope. Are you going to let the fame get to your head, Josh? Yeah, I don't even know if I'll talk to you anymore. Mm, fair. Oh, wait, you're going to be there too. <laughs> <laughs> 20,000 subscribers is an awesome goal. And it's kind of a nice little segue into some questions about the podcast itself. Um, so I was wondering... Like, what kind of preparation do you do for the show? Um, do you have a ritual? Do you have formats for outlining? Do you do everything off the cuff or like super prepared bullet points, rebuttals, everything planned ahead of time? <laughs> I like the uh, ritual ritual before the show. Kelly, we need to start a ritual. I have a ritual. I, um, I brush my teeth before the show because I <laughs> like to be minty fresh when I'm going to be talking for a while. So we can't smell your breath through the <laughs> through Zoom. <laughs> that is the extent of how I prepare for the podcast. I don't do anything else. I don't research. I don't help select topics. <laughs> it's all challenge. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Since you're vegan, maybe for a ritual, we could like sacrifice a turnip or a, or a cabbage or something before each episode. <laughs> okay. I don't think dog. you know what vegans do, but okay. Well, you're not going to kill a goat. No, I won't. All right. So we can sacrifice a turnip. No, it's radicchio, actually. Mm, fancy sacrifices. <laughs> will that please the gods of podcasting? I think so. It will. <laughs> Bless our show. In, yeah. all, in all seriousness, we do try to set out some topics ahead of time, and we try to space these topics out in a way that means that we're always going to be fresh, um, even if it's a similar subject area. Perhaps we're focusing on a different aspect of it so that it's still going to be not super boring for listeners. We usually stay on after we record and we set up what we're going to be planning for our next couple of recordings ahead of time. We set up a Google Doc and just start throwing ideas in there. Um, Josh is way more structured about this than I am. So he likes to put things in a particular order and write out a lot of his ideas. And I'm trying to get used to that a year and some change in. Mm -hmm. I'm much more um, extemporaneous with how I approach things. But we, we try to get like facts and figures brought in. So the research and organization is really beneficial to keep those from getting out of control. So what about um, a, a favorite episode and then follow up a least favorite episode? Oh, I have a favorite and I'm going to go hard on this outdoorsy thing. I like, it was one of our earlier episodes. I like the episode that we did on climbing Mount Everest. So I think the title was Dangerous Jobs. And we used the Sherpas who are hired to assist 
foreign climbers who would like to say that they got the top to the top of Mount Everest without doing any of the work. Uh, we used them as a starting point for the episode and then branched off to talk about surrogate parents and various other dangerous jobs. And I like that one because one of the things we try and do on the show that I think we realized early on would be beneficial is in a debate podcast where we're talking about a lot of relatively fact-heavy topics, it can really easily get very luxury. And I think in that episode, we did a good job of making it more narrative and telling the story around the debate rather than just lecturing on the facts and the figures of the debate. So that's something we've been striving to do is, is make the episodes a bit more story driven. And I think in that episode, we did a, we did a good job of it. If I say so ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you do. <laughs> I, I had a hard time thinking about what my favorite would be. I like a lot of them for a lot of different reasons, but I think that the one that stands out for me is the, what I refer to as the memory special which was an episode that focused on manipulating memory with through the lens of a few different pieces of media. Particularly, it was like Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, Black Mirror, and a few other types of media where people um, are able to alter or even just view other memories. And I think I like that one because we were able to discuss real ethical questions and have a very valid discussion based off of something that people might be dismissive of like television essentially. But I like a pretty much every episode that we've done um, for the most part, for various reasons, we have valid conversations and I don't think we would be putting out these episodes if we didn't ultimately find them valuable. If they didn't please us, they wouldn't be out. <laughs> I have to put myself on the chopping block here. Probably my least favorite episode that I didn't like my performance in was our veganism debate. Because you lost. <laughs> well, you know, but it wasn't just that we, it wasn't just that we lost, if you think that we lost. That was literally our second episode. And we say that we're committed to presenting both sides of a topic. But in that episode where I tried to argue against veganism, I had a really hard time defending the side that said we should be eating meat. Because for some reason, I, I just wasn't willing to get up there and say that, well, animals don't have rights. And I think that that's a fundamental argument for the side that believes in that eating meat is fine. And, and I, I think it was a failure on my part not to just come out there and make those arguments, because I do think there's a legitimate argument there to say, not that they necessarily don't have any rights whatsoever, but that they are subservient to humans. We should care more about ourselves than we care about them. And they have few enough rights that we have every reason to eat them should we see fit. And whether or not I believe that um, is different than me being able to at least present those arguments in a comprehensive way. So I think that's the one episode where I was probably most critical of myself for not holding up to the standard that we set for the show, which was that if there is a reasonable argument out there on either side of the debate, we would be presenting it whether we agree with it or not. Similarly, my least favorite episode is a debate, and I did lose this one, but that's not the reason it's my least favorite. Uh, it's a pretty recent episode. It's the cultural appropriation episode. And the reason I disliked it so much is because I did not think that cultural appropriation is debatable. <laughs> I think that it exists and it is harmful. Josh effectively beat me on that, but I um, ultimately was not 
like super comfortable even debating it in the first place. And I think that affected my ability to as aggressively defend my points as I might have otherwise. But I understand why we did that episode. And I understand that it was a overall, it was a good discussion to be had, but wasn't my favorite. My favorite episode that you guys have done was the pineapple and pizza one, but that's <laughs> very on brand for me. <laughs> <laughs> Which was more than just that. To, to it, yeah, that no, it was. I learned a lot in that one, but also pineapple belongs on certain types of pizza. Okay. Okay. That was my take. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for agreeing. Yep. No, and that's, and that's an example, I think, of where when we're doing this well, I think it takes that form where we have a starting point, like a starting question like that that might be a bit clickbaity, might seem a bit shallow, but there's underlying controversies and underlying ideas that we use it to get to throughout the rest of the episode. And so just in general, when we're able to do that well, those are my favorite episodes. Yeah. All right. This one, the next question is kind of a a branch off of the favorite episode, which is, do you have a favorite argument that you've been able to make? It can be on the podcast. It can be at a different debate. It doesn't have to be from your favorite episode if it is from the podcast, because it might it might be different. It might be just like, I really clicked with being able to take this side and make this case about this particular subject like I was on. This is a difficult question because uh, we've made a lot of arguments mm-hmm. over the past, oh, 20 years, probably each <laughs> with our involvement in, in speech and debate. I would say anytime... I'm not going to commit to a single argument because I think it would be hard to pick a single argument, but I would say that anytime I was able to go into a debate and pick an unpopular opinion, something that people might find morally questionable or people in Western culture might be predisposed to disagree with, if I was able to make that point very well and ultimately win as a result of it, that felt like a major success for me in terms of my argumentative skills. So maybe like advocating for things like political assassinations, most people not a big fan of that or other things that are just usually not well-received. I think that I, I have um, a favorite genre of, of argument, or I guess an argument that takes the same form, but could be applied to multiple different scenarios. And that is, There's a lot of topics that ask a particular group of people that is disenfranchised by a societal structure, and it could be something like affirmative action or uh, wage gaps or just representation in general. And it asks that group of people to be uplifted within a system that just inherently undervalues them. And I've always had a problem with that. So to give an example... Asian representation in Hollywood was a big deal and was brought up with Crazy Rich Asians, was also brought up with Shang-Chi, for example. And there was a lot of criticism saying that we need more Asian representation in, in Hollywood. And the form of the argument that I like is the one that asks people to stop basically begging an infrastructure that undervalues them to be part of it and, and to play their own game and just reject that infrastructure in general. Uh, because I, I think that it's infinitely regressive. So in in the example of Crazy Rich Asians, even if you have a movie that now puts them on the silver screen, uh, this demographic, it's only a select version of the demographic. It's the prettiest ones. Oftentimes, it's the ones that look or act or speak the most like whatever group of people holds control over that industry. 
And so to me, any group of people is better off just rejecting that completely. Say, we don't want to be part of Hollywood. We don't need your awards. We don't need your Academy Awards. We don't need your Oscars. I don't follow it enough to know which one of those is actually for movies. Another example would be, and I I ran this argument for my school newspaper actually back in (coughs) 2000, whatever. Um, And it was when gay marriage was a big deal. And the article was instead of petitioning the straight community for them to allow the gay community into their institution of marriage, we should just get rid of marriage completely. So rather than petitioning to be like begging, basically begging to be part of an institution that doesn't value you, tear the institution down and create your own from the ground up. Um, So I, I like that argument. And I think so many people can't see the world devoid of the structures that are literally oppressing them. And that's kind of where the power of those structures come from. If you can't imagine a world without the thing that's oppressing you, you're never going to get out from under it. I like that argument. Yeah, I like that argument too. Um, And it definitely challenges my worldview as well. Because initially, your example of instead of joining in with marriage, abolish it. I was like, but then I, but I just got married this year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it makes you think. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's Good. the goal of the show, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you're when when you're deciding, you know, what topic you're gonna talk about, how do you decide which person takes which side? Do you flip a coin or is it like do you do you debate on who's gonna take the side on the debate? This is where I'm going to do one of my rare phrases of Josh, which is that he basically lets me pick the side that I want to take and then he's good with whatever. Which probably speaks to him being a better debater because that's what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to just take whatever side. But um, I get away with not having to argue against my own beliefs quite a lot when we're doing anything that pits us against each other. I should probably challenge myself a bit more, but I don't want to anymore. Well, and that's why this episode is great, because I think (laughs) based on the side that I'm on, we usually have a caveat every dozen episodes that views expressed on the podcast are not necessarily the ones we believe. But I do think some of the things I've said make me look uh, a certain way, which to to be fair, again, I don't think that we put out any view on the show that we don't feel is legitimate, but that's different from uh, saying that we necessarily agree with it or that that's the view that we hold ourselves. Right. Yeah. And, and that's one of the like, motivations for the show is to just get people comfortable accepting that somebody else can go through a valid line of reasoning and come to a different conclusion than yourselves. And, you know, you don't have to agree with it, but you can at least see where they're coming from on it. Yeah. We'll go a little technical with the next question. Uh, Who does the editing for this here podcast? Mm -hmm. It's all Josh. (laughs) I hate it, but it has to be done. How much do you fuck up? When we record, we fuck up a lot. And I appreciate you just to just to break the fourth wall here for a second. In this episode, I think that Alex is getting a sense of exactly how much we fuck up because we probably have about 30 minutes of content that's ready to be cut <laughs> from the recording so far. Yeah. Occupational hazard. Kelly's cats have, <laughs> have broken into her room. She's had to feed them. My cat has been running rampant. <laughs> the cats don't understand the fourth wall. Mm-mm, no, no. So we've got all... Uh, I've said at least eight dumb things that I I forgot what marriage was for about 15 (laughs) minutes. So yeah, we fuck up a lot and that's where the editing comes in. 
to make us sound smart. Like magic. So then when you're editing, Josh, um, have you ever edited selectively, you know, such a way that you are able to coax the argument in your favor or or in Kelly's favor? But since you're the editor, probably in your favor. I don't know. Kelly, what do you think? No, I'd say that you're probably pretty fair with that. Um, I have listened and it took me a long time to be comfortable with this. I've listened to every episode that we've published and I have a pretty good memory for what we generally said and the points that we made. And I think I would know that there was something amiss if I was to hear an end product and it sounded like it had been tinkered with too much. Yeah, there's certain arguments that I know Kelly is more attached to. And for my own safety, I make sure to leave those in. I'm not going to hurt you. Because <laughs> we live in different states. Yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> it's about ethics and podcasting. Yeah. I think I would absolutely edit an episode to make my argument stronger, but this is why I don't host a debate podcast. <laughs> um, we have a listener question next. This is from Ian in Southern California. Um, he asks, what is your greatest criticism of your own show and what's the compliment you strive most to hear? I recently went back and listened to an episode that a friend told me that they had listened to, which was our gender roles episode, which we put out, I don't know, four months ago. Mm -hmm. And I think that my criticism of the show is that it's taken us a long time to get comfortable doing this and finding a good rhythm. And so I do think that the episodes we put out before we got fully comfortable are still good and they are pleasant to listen to. But I, um, I would say that I'm looking forward to improving our comfortability with this and making sure things sound even more natural and that we like each other. <laughs> Make it just sound like that. Make it just sound like that. You know, it's not going to happen in real life. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'd say that the compliment that I most like to hear is I like to hear when people I know have listened, um, when people I know that I didn't specifically bug have listened to it. That's, I think, the greatest compliment of all is that they took the time to check out what we have. Mm. What about you, Josh? The greatest criticism from me, though, I think I would like if, A, we were able to have more guests on and B, a better way of incorporating the guests. Mo most podcasts that bring on guests, it's very much they're there to be interviewed or to answer specific questions. And then that's sort of interdispersed throughout the episode. From the beginning, we've had our guests on, like you, for just the entire episode. They just join us for the discussion. And I like that. But for as long as it's taken Kelly and I to get comfortable podcasting, for a guest to just come on as a one-off and expect them to be comfortable right off the bat is difficult. So I'd like to have more guests and I'd like to find a way to maybe incorporate them in a way that made them feel more comfortable and where we could really bring out the contributions that they're capable of in, in a more effective way. Well, I feel pretty comfortable. I'm hoping that, <laughs> hoping I'm not bringing the pacing to a grinding halt each time I talk. No, we'll you're doing see great. What my editing does. <laughs> yeah, no, if you can edit it, edit selectively to make me look better, sound better, that would be excellent. We'll see what I can do. <laughs> Payments are I appreciated. appreciate that. <laughs> well, what about the compliment you want to hear the most? I don't want to just parrot what you said, but I think to expand that out, I spent some time looking at our statistics on our website because that's the kind of person I am. And when I see people from various countries where I was like, I don't know anybody in Ghana. Uh, I don't know anybody in Nepal. 
but we have people listening from those countries, I think for the same reason, that means a lot. That's very cool. That might be another criticism also to just undercut my own compliment to myself. Um, that be, might be another criticism. I, I think that we could probably also do a better job of bringing our arguments and subject matter out of the U.S. We try to be global, but you know, a lot of controversies do center themselves here because we're uniquely controversial. Um, we really are. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on other places around the world. And, and I think we just did a, a couple of episodes where one, we talked about um, economic development in Africa. In another episode, the one about cultural appropriation. We managed to bring on um, what I thought was a very good guest who was born in Zimbabwe, living in Australia. So I think there's definitely more that we could do to take the show outside of America's borders. That's a good answer. (laughs) So uh, we have all kinds of podcasts available, but you are a debate podcast first and foremost. We are the debate podcast. <laughs> you are the, sorry, you are the debate <laughs> podcast. That was a big decision when we were branding it in the beginning. I was like, Kelly, do we want to do indubitably a debate podcast or indubitably the debate podcast? And part of being a debater is to appropriate hubris and fake it. So we're the debate podcast. The debate podcast. The debate podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So I stand corrected. You are the debate podcast. Um, And we have some debate related questions. Um, So Josh, first, you were previously invited as a guest onto the podcast behind the story with Chuck Tuck to talk about debate. And you were asked about the value of debate in the average person's life. Yeah, Chuck was nice enough to ask me on to the podcast. And he brings people on that can help the listeners sort of round out their own knowledge base or skill base or just the way they look at the world. And uh, I think he felt as though there was a value to debate. And so, yeah, brought brought me on to talk about that. And that was one of the questions. So what is the average person who doesn't do debate competitively? What could they gain from it? And I, I think that there's a couple of different answers in, in a variety of different aspects of a person's life. One would just be civic engagement, being more informed on issues and being able to siphon through what is legitimate that you're hearing and what's bullshit (laughs) makes it easier for you to make better decisions. Uh, And then that could be in your own life. That could be in the polling places. That's definitely a positive. Also, it just helps your way of thinking, like being able to structure, organize, think clearly about topics, which is a prerequisite to being able to debate effectively, has benefits in communication in general. And I think Also, last, maybe just an ability to empathize with other people. If you debate in good faith against somebody else and not just try to show up to beat them, uh, you learn a lot about other people. And I think that's valuable, too. I personally am very bad at arguing. Um, I feel (laughs) my my argument usually boils down to because that's how I feel about it, which is you're not persuading anybody with that as the backbone of your argument. So like, what are some characteristics of successful arguments? How can I get better at, I don't want to say that I'm an argumentative person, but if I feel strongly about something, how can I articulate a better argument? So what I would tell people when I was coaching and when I was judging quite a bit is that so much of the argument rests in the why, whereas most people, I think, stick with what the the claim is, the thing that they are trying to get people to believe but don't do the work in justifying why that is the case. So if the, if the claim is something like, I think you should buy me something for Christmas and 
that's all I say. That's not really persuasive. I think you should buy me something for Christmas because I bought you something for Christmas because you love me and I'm your best friend ever. Um, because if you don't, I'm going to probably stick a cat turd in your bed. Like those are the types of things that like further emphasize that my claim is valid is all of the becauses. And obviously with actual debate, with like an argument that is not just trying to get a present out of you, we're going to be talking with, about things that are a little more nuanced and bring up like evidence about like, uh, this is how missile defense looks in Eastern Europe or I don't know what, but Answering the why until you have no more whys to answer is probably the best way to make the most solidly persuasive argument. And then once you are able to do that with an argument, you're able to boil it down to which whys are the most important whys to answer. And you can like discard all of the like extraneous ones. But going through that exercise at first so that you've exhausted it, I think is really helpful in formulating how to think about it more critically. I think the other thing to consider is what type of debate you're having. We talked about the episodes that we run that are competitive debates, and there's a reason that we choose specific topics for those. And in those debates, there's a judge who's supposed to be neutral, that each side is trying to convince that they're correct. And that's where the gamesmanship comes in a lot of times. And those debates don't really lead to authentic discussions, though, because if your opponent says something correct, you lose if you admit that. So you spend a lot of time being inauthentically adversarial and not giving credit to arguments that probably deserve more or giving too much credit to arguments of your own that you know are probably not as valid as you might be presenting them to be. So that's why competitive debate is not necessarily the focus of the show is because to be to put it as bluntly as possible, there's a lot of lying that goes on in competitive debate because your goal is to win. A more realistic version of that that would happen in the real world is maybe you do have a judge. Maybe, you know, you've got two people, politicians that are trying to convince a population of something. That judge doesn't have the rules of debate to hamstring them. They don't have a need to be objective. They have their preconceived notions that they're going to vote based on. And so if you're debating and the general public is your judge, you're going to be doing it in a very different manner. And that's a much more useful way of learning to debate. And then the last thing is, you know, you might be debating against somebody where there is no judge and you and that person are literally just having this debate. And so you need to get somebody that completely disagrees with you to come to your side. And again, undermining their arguments that are valid, pumping up your arguments that are invalid is going to be the least effective in this scenario. So I think to to answer the question of what are some characteristics of a successful argument or how can you be better at arguing, the first thing you need to do is understand like who are you arguing for, who are you arguing in front of, and um, try to make sure that you're you're doing the best you can to recognize the situation you're in. I now understand why, Kelly, when you helped me formulate my work-from-home proposal, she very gently said, I changed the tone of everything. You are very defensive and I have now made you offensive. Um, that makes a lot more sense because it was a situation where I had to try and persuade somebody who was not on the same page as I was as far as what I wanted to do. I had to make the case as to why they should change their mind. Mm-hmm. I was not successful, unfortunately. Um, I will be back in the office three days a week. <laughs> Well, and and that's why to go back to just the structure of this show, that's why so many of our episodes take this more conversational narrative format is because we're not necessarily trying to win a debate for either side. 
and we're not trying to necessarily convince anybody of anything. We're trying to have a conversation that lets people, you know, just see the debate in a in a balanced way. And so for a debate podcast, we don't do much debating except for specific issues that we think lend themselves to that format um, because we have a different goal than, you know, trying to win any particular topic for one side, usually. Yeah, makes sense. Um, we have a couple of questions from listeners who currently debate competitively on either the high school or college level. The first is from Angeline in San Jose. Angeline, I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Um, Angeline's wondering how you can get over a debate slump. Well, now that we've spent the last five minutes trashing competitive debate, <laughs> <laughs> let's give some debate coaching. That is our background, to be to be fair. Like, you know, it's something we care a lot about. So, of course, we're going to be a bit critical of of the aspects of it that we think might be trending in the wrong direction. But Kelly and I do both appreciate competitive debate as well. Mm -hmm. And I'd say the first way to get over a debate slump is to start winning. <laughs> um, that's not helpful. Um, Never slump in the first place. Yeah. It might not be helpful, but I can see it being beneficial. <laughs> I will say that I've had a few debate slumps too, and it does feel like it's unattainable to get out of it. But once you do finally get like a success, even if it's a small one, that is really encouraging. And then I think that there's a lot to be said about just sticking with like the practice and research and listening to coaches and finding other resources like this podcast, perhaps that help you formulate better arguments or arguments you hadn't considered before so that you can bring a unique performance into the debate round. Yeah, this might sound very Mr. Miyagi of me, but the less you care about winning, the more likely you are to win. And I think if you do what Kelly's saying and you appreciate the topics for the topics themselves, you go and research something, not because you're you're thinking, oh, I could win a debate round with this, but you really want to learn about that thing for its own value, that passion or that understanding or the empathy that you gain from reading about the people that are affected by it, for example, is going to translate into debate wins. So the less you worry about the results and the more you care about the things that you're debating, which is really the point of the activity in the first place, uh, you'll find that those translate into success, I think. I had a, um, I don't know how to say this without <clears throat> sounding like a D-bag, but I had a relatively successful debate career when I was officially competing. But then afterwards, when we started judging, they have sort of exhibition tournaments or you know, like master's tournaments where people that have already won things come back to compete. And I actually did significantly better at those tournaments because I stopped caring at that point. You know, I'd, I'd been debating for long enough and I'd gotten a few trophies. So I said, you know what, I've won some tournaments already. Now I want to debate because I like the activity. And these are the things I appreciate about the activity. And if that makes me lose, I don't really care. And the second I took on that attitude, I actually started winning more. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I mean, that applies in all kinds of areas in life. Um, so yeah, you're right. It is very Mr. Miyagi, very philosophical. Um, we have another question from a currently competitive debater, and this is Sarah from Malaysia. Sarah writes, I love so many of these topics, but I can't really find that much more information on them after the episodes are done. What can I do to learn more or even better in some cases? How can I get involved? Um, I can take this one. She can go on Twitter and learn about pineapple on pizza. <laughs> we tend to look 
at published articles and things from credible news sources. I think if you have a subscription to at least one quality newspaper somewhere in the world, probably not an American one, honestly, then you have a lot of archival information that you can pull upon from these topics and probably find quite a bit that centers around a lot of these debates. In particular, when we are talking about the artifacts, uh, returning artifacts to the cultures from which they actually came, I got a lot of that research through the New York Times. And yeah, I mean, just continue to read the news is a, is a big part of it. And my preference is actually more for long form news or long form journalism. So Foreign Affairs is a really good subscription, I think. And they cover every other month they come out with an episode, but you're looking at like 30 page long essays on current events as opposed to a one page or or two minute read um, on your phone. And so I think that or literally books is a really good way to to truly understand something um, more than just the facts. As far as facts go and newspapers go, I like BB, the BBC.com because for every article, generally on the sides of the articles, they'll come with some background, whether that be a timeline or a why does this country hate this country or who is this person and what did they do? Uh, for example, they just had an article on Brittany Griner and her release from Russia. And they have attaching articles that ask you, who is the merchant of death? The guy that we made the exchange for Brittany Griner for. What is the history of Russian US prisoner exchanges, et cetera, et cetera. So you can have a starting point there for the article now, and then they'll take you back through the history and help you understand that. Give some context. That's super helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I need that on most topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to jump into a controversy that might have been going on for a decade and you know, just like, all right, this happened today. Now try to understand it. It's impossible. And I guess last is we kind of made a commitment in one of our previous episodes, our our anniversary episode, I think, to follow up on our own episodes a bit more on our social media, which just so happens to be on Facebook and Twitter at IndubitablyPod. And so we are trying to follow up with some of the things that we talk about. And if there are new happenings, like Brittany Griner, for example, we're trying to help our listeners keep up with that on our socials. So that would be something else you could do to learn more. As far as getting involved, when we have guests, we try to find guests that are involved in whatever topic it is that we're discussing. And we usually try to include some of the work that they're doing, which is oftentimes a, a place that you could also reach out and contribute. Uh, I don't think that there's very many causes out there that aren't looking for some sort of help. All right. We have a final question as we wrap up. This one is from Nick in Oregon. And Nick writes, I would want to know what motivates Josh and Kelly to continuously bring knowledge to the community that follows them. I would ask what it is that they value that makes the time investment worthwhile because it's not small and they seem to take it very seriously. Kelly, why do you put up with me? This opportunity came at a time where it seemed like we were never getting out of COVID and I was not socializing with very many people at all. So it at first was, oh, this is like something to do to keep me busy and actually like communicate with another human being once or twice a week. So this is probably good for my brain, but as we continue with it, I think that I got past the initial, like, what's this? What's this? It's a debate podcast into seeing that it has a purpose and seeing that it's reaching people. And 
ultimately, like we talk about it, we joke about it, like eventually we'll get a Patreon or something uh-huh, and we'll like make money off of this eventually. That's that's not the point. And that's not been the point, at least not for me. Josh can speak for himself. I think the point is that being able to introduce pure argument in the best light possible that cuts through the noise is is a public service. Yeah. Speak for yourself. Ski lift tickets are expensive and cat food's expensive. I need to get paid. <laughs> No, I, Kelly and I, like we said, both used to teach debate and coach debate. And so when we started the podcast, it seemed like a good way to kind of provide the same lessons, if you will, to a a wider audience base. And now it just feels as though the things that you value as a teacher or the things you value as an educator, this is a good way to continue that uh, on a much broader scale. And, you know, hopefully it'll get on a broad enough scale at some point that it'll make a difference. We're so altruistic. We're so good. That's that's the takeaway. If people want to get to know us, the point of this episode is that Kelly and I are the best people. We are such good people. You are givers. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah. I don't have one yet. <laughs> I, I lied. I have one last question. Um, inquiring minds must know, is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh my gosh. Let me change my answer on my biggest criticism of indubitably the biggest failure of our show so far is that we have yet to have an episode on this. Maybe 2023 is the year we rectify that mistake. Maybe that's the new year's resolution we should actually be making is to have the hot dog episode. It will be definitive and we will settle the argument and the debate once and for all. The most (laughs) important debate of all. One year from now, when we re talk about our new year's resolutions, If y'all are still around listening, you'll get to hear if we have once again failed in our quest to define the identity of a hot dog or if we finally succeed. (laughs) Uh, Until then, Alex, thanks so much for coming on this episode. It was more enjoyable than I would have thought to have to open up and expose ourselves, probably bad choice of words there, uh, to our listeners. But um, I I definitely appreciate you making it more comfortable than it might have been otherwise. I super appreciate the invitation and I was so flattered when Kelly texted me and she was like, Hey, do you want to, want to do this thing? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Sounds fun. What else am I going to do on a Friday? (laughs) Probably something much more exciting than this normally, but we do appreciate that you took the time uh, with us today. No, it was, it was an absolute delight. I'm, I'm overjoyed to have been able to contribute. Thank you for letting me come on. And finally, we would like to thank you, the listeners for enduring this little I don't know, self-congratulatory, introspective, weird, autobiographical episode. Some of you did actually ask for it, but for the rest of you who maybe are like, what is happening right now? We'll be back to our normal format next week and we'll talk about something pretty great. I think we're going to talk about killer robots. (laughs) Killer robots and Operation Angel Fire. We promise there's a real debate in there somewhere. And I will once again be convinced that there are no redeeming qualities to robots whatsoever. Not even when they can shoot people. I'm a little worried about that in particular. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again, everybody, for sticking with us through this episode. Hopefully you learned something. Uh, We promise for our sake, we won't be doing it again. Back to regularly scheduled programming next week and looking forward to talking to you then. And happy new year. Yeah. Happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year.